Hi, my name is Ellie Cody, and this is Manhattan Sideways. On today's episode, I speak with Dimitri Gatanas, one of the owners of the Urban Garden Center. Here's what Betsy Bover-Pallaby, founder of Manhattan Sideways, had to say about Dimitri and the Urban Garden Center. The Urban Garden Center is certainly not what one would define as a hidden gem, as it spans one full block on Park Avenue and is fully exposed. The quote-unquote shop is situated underneath an elevated train track amidst the incessant whistling, rattling, and shaking of whirling locomotives. This outdoor business, owned by Dimitri Katanas and his family, is a whimsical, unassuming contradiction, bringing the wild beauty of nature and an equally wild urban world to one place. I found walking through the outdoor paths of the Urban Garden Center to be a charming refuge from the city, filled with intertwined branches, trees, and clumps of moss, cradled in strings with plants growing from them. Farther through the aisles was a semi-covered section that resembled a greenhouse, as well as a cactus garden, orchids, barrels of bulbs, and hanging plants. Although it has gone through numerous iterations over the years, the Katanas family has been in the plant business since the 1960s. They have had the distinct pleasure of creating magnificent gardens for people on their rooftops, in museums, and every other kind of space one could imagine wanting to have greenery, either indoors or outdoors. While chatting with Dimitri's late mom back in 2015, she told me that five years earlier, her sons discovered an empty lot underneath the train track running from 116th to 117th Street and converted it into its present day green oasis. She then revealed that when her boys initially came to her to say that they had found what they believed to be a perfect spot to move their long established family garden center, she thought they were insane. It had no electricity, no running water, no bathroom, and I was supposed to smile and say, great. She then proudly said to me, when you're around this long, people take notice no matter where you go. Okay, so if I could have you just start by introducing yourself sure. and telling me the name of your business. My name is Dimitri Gatanis. I'm one of the uh, family owners of Urban Garden Center. And when did you get involved in Urban Garden Center? Well, I originally got involved in the family garden center business back in the late 90s when it was known as Dimitri's Garden Center. It was uh, after a short-lived career in real estate. It was probably, probably about 1999, I would say. And then Urban Garden Center was realized in around 2010. Okay, and it's a family business. Correct. And so you are which number? Oh, so I'm, I'm in the third generation. We like to say that our kids are growing into the fourth generation. So we, we've been doing, the family's been doing this since 1959. Very cool. And can you tell me exactly what you do at Urban Garden Center? Me personally? Yeah. yeah. We don't give each other titles, or ourselves titles, I should say. So there really isn't anything that I don't do. But I would say I, I deal with a lot of the merchandising. I deal with a lot of the purchasing. I do the garden designing, project coordinating, and I do a lot of the marketing. Let's backtrack a little bit and talk about what it is that Urban Garden Center does. Sure. The main business is, of course, a retail garden center. And in Manhattan, you know, you're used to seeing flower shops and maybe you go to a bodega or a grocer and you find plants and what have you. But we specialize only in plants that are right for the environment here in New York City. And we specialize in garden supplies that a typical urban gardener would require or hope for to manage their garden. And who are your customers? 
We have lots of amazing customers from somebody that has a firescape garden or community garden uh, to as large as museum institutions, department buildings, clubs. They're old world clubs. I mean, you know, where people wear white gloves still and bonnets. I mean, this is our clients. This is our customer base. So, so the majority of your business is those bigger jobs, not Look, someone coming in and buying like one palm tree. I can't say their... that. I can't say that anymore because now come in on a Saturday and you see all the young folk in there under 30 and they're buying little things, but those little things add up. Add up yeah. And, um, and you know, we, we also have like other things that we specialize. Like we have something called a soil bar. You could buy any of the stuff that we sell, like soil, rocks, perlite, anything. We could sell it to you by the cup. And we have it actually at your disposal. My grandfather came up with this a long time ago, and I just turned it into the soil bar. And that's it. I mean, this is a big thing, especially for the community. Nobody has room for a big bag of soil, period. We're doing a great job of bringing in some really unique things that you would really have to sort of search for online and, and have it sent to you. I mean, you could buy a pitcher plant, which is a carnivorous plant. We always have them in stock. You could buy those, they call them Chinese money plants. They look like coins. We have them in stock all the time. We have bonsai in stock. We have uh, any succulent that you can think of is probably in stock at any given time. Snake plants, fiddle leaf figs, monstera. We sell rue. I mean, nobody even knows what rue is. But in our community... Rue is a big deal. It's, it's used in teas and all kinds of stuff in the Hispanic community. We sell rue, and we have rue almost all year round. So these are things that you can go to 28th Street, and you can go to six shops, and I've done it because I've, I've ran out of things, and I can't find it on 28th Street. That, that's a big thing for these people. When they come in, they want to find it. They're going to make their way to us. We want to make sure they leave with what they're looking for. So we put together a nice selection of interesting plants, and it's... Um, in Harlem, and we're the only uh, large plant store in the whole entire area, from the Upper East Side to all of Harlem. Believe me, nobody's getting rich from this business. I mean, it's a struggle every single day, but I, I, I wouldn't trade it for the world, really. I just, uh, I love it. And how has the business changed over time since it is such a long-running institution? You know, the truth is, nothing's really changed. There's some subtle changes, like trends have changed. I mean. The trends of today were the trends of the 70s. And the trends of the 80s will probably be the trends of tomorrow, you know, and, and that kind of thing. So if anything, it sort of regurgitates itself maybe every decade. What are the current trends? I'm curious to hear. Oh, well, the, right now the, the succulents are super hot. Right. And then, of course, you have these magazine-inspired plants like the Monstera, the fiddle leaf fig, snake plants. But the succulents, it's unbelievable. I mean, tiny little succulents. It's, yeah. uh, it's the hottest thing. And I would say that that market is really people under 30. You know, it's like right out of college to about 30 years old, that's the market. Do you feel that it has an impact on your business to be in Harlem? How does the location affect your experience with the business? Harlem has uh, gone through another renaissance and we just happen to be at the right place at the right time. But we found ourselves in Harlem because we're originally from Harlem. My mother was born in East Harlem. My grandparents immigrated from Greece, moved to East Harlem. It was once a pretty well-known Italian community and being a Greek, for whatever reason, there was a synergy between the Greeks and the Italians living in the same neighborhood. We were the Greek minority. But we had always been on the Upper East Side. We've had everything from a flower shop on 89th and Madison in 1959. We escalated to a garden center, which was on 86th Street between Lex and 3rd, 
if you go to the Shake Shack, the roof of the Shake Shack, that was our that was our location, which is kind of neat. So the building is still the same. In fact, when I walk up to that building, I still think I could walk up into my grandfather's store. We had a short stint on 82nd and 2nd, and I say the word short, probably was 10 years, but in my eyes, it was, it was short. And then we ended up on 102nd and 2nd Avenue, which uh, was actually the birthplace of Lou Gehrig, believe it or not. It was 1992 2nd Avenue. But I, I got involved really at the, the 102nd and 2nd. So we moved from 102nd and 2nd. We, we end up in the South Bronx, which is now supposedly a new hot area. And we were there before it was hot, uh, right in the corner of Bruckner and 3rd Avenue, right by the 3rd Avenue Bridge. And at that time, when I moved from 2nd Avenue, I, it, I was absorbing this urban culture. We embraced the location. It was literally almost under the bridge. And that experience set me up for the experience that I was about to encounter, which was the experience under the railroad tracks on 116th Street and Park Avenue. Now, I had known about this place. I knew about La Marqueta, which we're technically a part of. Can you explain what La Marqueta is? Sure, yeah. It's a public market. There are several public markets in New York City. They all started when Fiorello LaGuardia was the mayor. And he basically created a, a public market space because the predominantly Jewish street vendors, because Park Avenue actually in East Harlem was a Jewish community, they were clogging the streets with their stuff. They were on the street corners, on the streets, and it was just like it was basically a big giant market. And, and LaGuardia was like, you know, this can't happen. You know, this has got to be cleaned up. The horse and buggies can't get through and what have you. So he eventually created a retail public market. If you went in there, you could buy bacalao, you could buy clothing, you could buy meat, you could buy fruit, produce, all that stuff. I mean, you could buy all kinds of interesting things there. And it was all under the railroad tracks. So it was kind of neat. So, of course, it always had this sort of uh, agricultural use. And when it became available, there was a, like a public, like an RFP kind of thing. And when we put it in, they were looking at us like a garden center here. Oh, I don't know. This is a terrible idea. But I said, well, I mean, why not? And I said, it's, it seems to me pretty logical. And they're like, no, it doesn't sound logical to us at all. And they eventually said, well, you know what? We do have two big lots that are available that we have no plans for. We'll let you give it a shot right there. So we basically set up a 20,000 square foot space under a railroad track with no light, no electricity, no water. And we started a business, which was unbelievable. How did you respond to some of those hurdles? Like you need those things to run your business. So what did the process look like to set up the business there? Well, honestly, I can't believe that I had the courage to think that this was a completely a normal thing to do. The process was not easy. I mean, it must, it must have been one of the hardest three or four years of our lives. You know, we had an economic boom, and then we went into an economic bust. And when that bust happened, it was right around the time we signed that lease. And I said, you know what? We're going to take this on. Whatever comes at us, we're going to make it happen. And we basically found ways of getting water from a building that we owned, and we found ways to electrify the place and uh, we did what we had to do some people ask me how did you do this i said well i'm a new yorker we could figure anything <laughs> out and we did and we figured it out and it was just literally one plant at a time one bag of soil at a time one customer at a time and we built a business and uh we're lucky enough to be around we had a couple tragedies the first one was a major uh, gas explosion across the street from us it blew up our greenhouse blew up the front portion of our shop we were fortunate enough not to have anybody be hurt on our side, but there were eight fatalities in the building. 
it was pretty terrible and it was a tough time for us because not only was it tough because we were out of business, but that was like sort of small potatoes compared to eight lives being lost because of some terrible accident. So this was something else. This was, I think it was 2014. It was March 12, 2014. And two years later, we ended up having our own self-inflicted wound. We basically set fire to a gas generator and that fire basically burnt the other lot, burnt a, a huge portion of it, about 12,000 square feet, included our office, and it was uh, tough stuff. So we, we've been through a lot. Some people said, oh, you know, this, you know, this looks like it's bad luck. And this and I said, we have the best luck at all. Nobody got hurt. Two major tragedies. Nobody got hurt. We're still in business. We didn't sue anybody. We didn't make a windfall at all with all this. I mean, we really struggled through two major tragedies, and we still managed to be alive and, and, and run a business. So for that, you know, there's really very few challenges that uh, I'm like, I'm not, I'm not scared of any challenge, frankly, uh, because it's like going to graduate school. Before we continue, we're going to take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsor, the Flatiron 23rd Street Partnership. The Flatiron District, anchored by its namesake, the Flatiron Building, is a world-renowned dining and retail destination. Beyond notable award winners like Cosme on 22nd Street and retail flagships lining Fifth Avenue, the neighborhood side streets are packed with the type of hidden gems that everyone wants to know. Grab a roll at Australian Cafe Burke Street Bakery on 28th Street. Head over to 26th to browse the racks at French clothing boutique Noir Blanc. For a relaxation experience like no other, Inscape on 21st will guide your meditation. The Flatiron 23rd Street Partnership also hosts free events on the Flatiron Plaza, like the 23 Days of Flatiron Cheer Holiday Program and the Flatiron Summer Series, showcasing neighborhood faves. For insider info on neighborhood happenings, visit flatirondistrict.nyc or at flatironny. I would love to hear more about your relationship to the immediate community around you. Sure. As I said earlier, my mother was born in the community, and the community looked different. Like I said, it was a predominantly Italian neighborhood in the areas where she was. She had parents that spoke very little English. They were Greek immigrants, and they had this sort of Greek life in an Italian neighborhood in the Upper East Side of Manhattan, which is known as Spanish Harlem now. But let's just say East Harlem at that time was considered, in that portion, was Little Italy. So this brought a lot to me uh, as an individual because I didn't even know that we were from East Harlem. Nobody ever celebrated the fact that East Harlem was a place that we were from or had our roots in. I always had this sort of false impression that we were from Astoria, which they did eventually move to. But we had a very beautiful start here in America, my mother's side of the family, in East Harlem. My grandmother worked at a factory nearby, you know, struggling to learn English. And my grandfather did everything from like selling ice cream in an ice cream truck to being a chauffeur. He eventually ended up being a florist, working on the Upper East Side at some swanky flower shops. (laughs) And uh, so he says, oh, I'm going to be a florist one day. And uh, he ends up opening up his first shop on Madison Avenue and 89th Street. And he had uh, a lot of amazing, fancy 
well-known clients of the time there, and that built a business, that experience. But the community means a lot to us. So when we opened up the store there, it was like a homecoming for us a lot of ways because we were on 102nd and 2nd Avenue for many years, but we were known as Dimitri's Garden Center. We came back as Urban Garden Center, and from day one, it was like, like I said, a homecoming. People would come in and say, you know, I remember you on 2nd Avenue. Or somebody might say, well, we remember you on 86th Street, and I remember this, and I remember that. And all that warm, good vibes that were going on really helped. We absorbed it all, and we sort of regurgitated it out as like a really positive business. So the first thing we did was we brought some chickens in, which sounds kind of crazy, but we brought these chickens in to do a compost program because we wanted the chicken waste to help us move the compost faster. And the compost was meant to give away to the community. And so the kids would come, and then we'd have schools coming, and then we'd have older people coming in their wheelchairs sitting in front of the chicken coop just staring at the chickens then we bring the plants in and the plants come in and people just say i just want to walk through your place i know i I can't afford to buy these plants but i just want to come here and can i have lunch here can i can i help you can i build something with you can we paint things so we took all that and we sort of bounced off of that so we started doing some great community events and we did these uh, fall festivals there where we invited small vendors from the community to to join us in celebrating fall. And we did these pig roasts, and we did a thing called Flea Marqueta across the street, where we, we also had vendors there. And this created this sort of synergy with our community. Now it's it's part of the process. I mean, I must have had about half a dozen schools come in with the children just to walk through the place in the last week or so. We had some special needs children And the other day, the school wanted the children to interact with nature. And so we become a resource, not only to provide oxygen, but we're also providing something that they can't see or touch in that area of Manhattan. And it's quite special in my opinion, but it's hard to explain unless you're there. You know, the roar of the train, the natural smells, the sound of New York City in in the most raw way. But then you have the most natural, most green most refreshing place uh, to be it's pretty pretty neat how does it affect your approach to the business knowing that you're the third generation carrying on well i have this sort of personal mantra or, or mission is that nothing's going to go down on my watch i mean we're gonna, <laughs> i'm involved and i'm going to i'm going to make sure that this thing makes it through to the next generation. Whether they want it or not is another story. I, you know, I encourage my kids to do what they want to do. Uh, although I have to say my son has uh, become quite an entrepreneur at 13. He's uh, became one of those sneaker heads. I think he's making more money than I am selling sneakers. <laughs> my daughter, I'm not sure yet. You know, she's still, uh, she's 10. She's all excited about sports and cheerleading and all that good stuff. But I mean, it would be nice to see the business continue. If it doesn't happen, that would be okay too. But I'm gonna do whatever I can to leave them an opportunity to make that decision down the road. At least I, I hope to do that. And uh, that, that's, what, that's what we're working on now. At what point did you realize that you wanted to continue the business, that you wanted to work there? Well, when I was a child, I told my grandfather, I was like, but we call him Papu, that's what you say in Greek. We said, Papu, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, one day I'm gonna own 10 of these stores and I'm gonna make you proud kind of thing. And that sort of like went away real fast when I went to college. And I was like, I want to be a real estate titan. I want to, you know, I want to be like the guy on Wall Street, Gordon Gecko. you know, which I, I don't think that's a positive role model, frankly. But I mean, it was at the time, 
you know, I thought being in a, in a corporate sort of industry and being in real estate and being around that culture, that was the, the way to go or be a lawyer or what have you. And I was on that road. I mean, those were my business idols were, you know, lawyers and real estate people and people that were very successful. But the funny thing is when I was faced with this situation, which real estate brought me to this crossroads, I was assisting my grandmother in purchasing the property from the city of New York. And I told my grandmother, I said, look, in order to buy this land, you need to run the business for a certain period of time. And we weren't sure she could do it. And she was literally the last man standing running the business. And it was falling apart as far as she had no resources. She really, really had no opportunity. So I basically stepped in and helped her out for free. And my whole family came in and helped out. And I can't believe that I'm here almost 20 years later, still involved, loving life. I think this is the greatest place in the world, greatest business to be in. And there's no easy money. There's no easy way out of this, but it's uh, exciting. And I, I get to work for those real estate titans, so it's kind of cool. You know, we're talking about people that are the biggest publishers and cable TV people, if you will, the owners of them. You know, three-story penthouses and all kinds of interesting stuff. And if you go back at the history, some of these buildings, I mean, some famous people lived in some of these buildings, like the governor of New York, Al Smith, who was... The governor of New York at the time, Fiorello LaGuardia, was mayor of New York. And these guys were butting heads with Robert Moses. I mean, this is when, the, when New York was really happening. And you're in a building that has this sort of like grandeur and this, this sort of a history. I have to say it's really interesting. That's all I can say because I'm there to provide something pleasurable or happy for my client. So I have this great relationship with my client. I have this happy relationship. So to be involved in that process with those people. I mean, I would never meet them if I was in real estate. I'd probably never meet those people. And so to me, that's what's interesting. That has a lot to do with it. I also work in a museum. I, I'm not allowed to say where it is, but I can tell you that it's very close to where we started our business. And to be in that place every single week and to interact with those people and to be a part of history and, and do things that the, the architect of that building had a real love for plants and, and what have you you know that that to me it's not about money you know what i mean it's not about anything like that but gosh i don't even know where to start i mean from neighborhood stories to customer stories and interesting things i mean it's just a it's a never-ending story frankly i mean there's never a day that goes by that isn't something extraordinary i mean every day is extraordinary every day is just amazing we did a job where we moved a tree from the Guggenheim Museum, and we moved it to Columbia University to a coffee shop, an 18-foot tree. And so we were, you know, hired by a cafe that moved into the Columbia University's new campus up on 125th Street. They were like, we're looking for an 18-foot tree. And I'm like, we this get... is 18 feet tall, tall or wide? Tall, tall. Okay. I mean, it's like something else. I mean, it's, a, it's actually, I call it the largest money tree in Manhattan because it is a money tree. It's a a Pakira water chestnut and it's standing proud in this pretty magnificent cafe on, on 125th street so just that little story to me that whole day was something else we've done a job in Times Square we did in the middle of winter you know you're up there and you're building a green roof garden in the midst of all those lights I mean just standing there that experience is something else frankly and it's not the experience that the people get inside the office it's the experience of being there because they'll never get to walk there so that to me is really interesting i mean it just goes on and on and on i mean we would just get to be in the most amazing places in the most amazing city on a daily basis making people happy i mean i think people would pay to have that experience 
maybe it was two or three years ago when you opened Urban Garden Cafe. It's 118th Street. What I loved about the space and continue to love about the space is the community feel and that people can come in and literally spend the day there. I saw people go through the New York Times, but I also saw somebody there and she was reading a book and she was not leaving. She was just, this this was home base. I always say every Greek wants to be in the food business for some reason. Even if they're good or bad at it, they have this sort of weird urge to end up in food somehow. And we had opened up some restaurants in East Harlem. I mean, we've had other businesses. We had a a place called Tito's Pizzeria, which was basically a Puerto Rican slash Italian pizzeria. But I would sneakily make the pork a little bit taste a little Greek, if you know what I mean. (laughs) That was kind of weird. People loved it. And then we had a a 24-hour diner called Jimmy's Classic Diner, and I modeled it after my experience as a kid. So I called it a 60s diner, a 60s New Jersey diner. And it was the only place in Manhattan at the time that had Taylor ham and egg, uh, which in, if you go to New Jersey and you order an egg sandwich, it's coming with Taylor ham. It's almost, it's like a sort of thing. And it's made in Trenton and, and all that good stuff. So what happens, we have the fire in 2016. Um, I have this crazy idea that we want to open up a cafe, but the fire, of course, spoiled that whole concept. The next thing I was worried about is staying in business. I mean, I was really worried about the high likelihood of being kicked out of there. Because our landlord was the city of New York and the damage was caused to the MTA's uh, property and the, the governor of New York is in charge of that and all this politics going on. So I was like, oh my God, dude, we're, we're done. So I said to my father, I said, we have to rent a retail space as close as we can to this property because we're probably going to get kicked out of here soon. And we did that. We rented a newly built building, had this gorgeous corner with a lot of light coming in. And we looked at it and we said, okay, we're going to put our office here and maybe do some light retail out of there. And then that quickly changed to a cafe, which we call UGC Eats. So basically like Urban Garden Center Eats. So we, we opened it up, but it was really important to me to make the place feel like the garden center, except in a sort of controlled environment. And so we built a tree in the corner that's made from the bark from firewood that we sell we had a mural done by some local graffiti artists that uh, depicts the MTA viaduct, the stone portion of it, which is from 111th Street down to 97th Street, which is kind of neat because the viaduct itself, the stone that was built in the 1860s, has native ferns growing out of the cracks of it. Native ferns that I was hired to do a job, a green wall, that we had to have these ferns grown at a college because they're so rare and so hard to find. We, they were grown specially for us in a SUNY Buffalo to put on this green wall in the 60s in the Upper East Side. This stuff is growing naturally. So it was so neat that I had the graffiti artist interject those ferns in there. And we have parking meters. We have architectural elements from buildings that are in our communities. We basically want to express Urban Garden Center in sort of like a brick and mortar style cafe. The menu is a vegetarian menu. We just don't use the word vegetarian. And I always make the joke that if you put the word vegetarian on the store, people like me wouldn't go in there and eat the food. So we decided to do this menu that is completely a Greek-inspired and and in a lot of ways just Greek food, but we don't use the word Greek either. (laughs) So it's like our burgers are chickpea burgers, but it's a Greek dish called Revito Kiftedis, which is a, it's a mouthful, but it's a, it's a Greek patty that you would have like with tzatziki, and you would have that as an appetizer, but we turned it into a burger with a brioche bun, 
And we also get a lot of our stuff from either locally, all the baked goods, and from Balthazar, which is sort of local because it's New Jersey, the other state. <laughs> of course, the salads. Of course, there's all Greek-inspired. We have a chickpea salad that has purslane in it. And the reason why we like purslane is because when my dad was living in Greece as a child, starving during the World War II because uh, we were occupied by Germany, they forced them to eat field greens. <laughs> Stuff that grew on the side of the mountain. And one of them was a plant called, we call it in Greek, glistrida, but it's, it's called purslane in America. But it turns out the only place I could find this thing is in East Harlem because it's a, it's a, it's a popular green in Mexican dishes or Central American dishes. Vertilago, they call it, which I can't believe, you know, I call my produce purveyor, they don't have it. But I could find it in markets in East Harlem. So that means like we have to have it. It has to be on our menu. And that's that's sort of how it all happened. So we do, I mean, we, we have to do this little baguette with honey and butter, you know, in Greece, that's your breakfast, honey and butter and bread. We do that. We do the Greek cheeses. We do a halloumi sandwich, a grilled halloumi sandwich. We do a, a thing we call toast. If you go to Greece, everything that's on bread that's pressed is called toast, but we do a sort of deconstructed version of that with some arugula. And I love it. We love it. We're opening up a second location, and uh, we're very excited about it. 104th between 5th and Madison. Manhattan sideways. <laughs> and it's, it's literally nestled between the Museo del Barrio and the Museum of the City of New York, my favorite, one of my favorite museums, I should say. And it's like a half a block away from Central Park, a few blocks away from Mount Sinai. And we, we're, we're very excited about it. And we're going to sell plants and sell coffee. And that's the whole... That's the gimmick. It's plants and coffee. And our hope is that one day we have a, a flurry of these things all over the place in other urban centers. And we basically have these wonderful little plant cafes where you could buy plants. You could be amongst the plants. You could, you know, just a, a great experience. Mm. So I wanted to clarify earlier, you were mentioning restaurants and diners and you were saying our, were they, did you run them? So, yeah, I mean... I'm not Superman, but I, I somehow, I don't know how I did it, but I uh, sort of did run them. I mean, I, uh, <laughs> I mean, it wasn't, I can tell you, some days where I would get up in the morning, I was involved in various projects and running the garden center and all that, and then I end up at 105th and 2nd at like 8 o'clock in the morning helping the Brazilian ladies. So it was, it was me going there marinating uh, pork butt at 8 in the morning after having two meetings and marinating pork butt and going to the diner, <laughs> meeting up with somebody else over there, maybe a purveyor or whatever, and then ending up in the Bronx trying to get people to come in. I mean, we did all kinds of crazy stuff. We had live jazz on the weekends. We were paying for people's cabs to come up to the South Bronx. Nobody wanted to go there. So all these amazing ideas, we sort of brought them to the 116th Street place, and it was a natural. I mean, we did barbecues every Saturday in, in, in the Bronx. Nobody showed up for free. Uh, at, at 116th Street, when we did it, we had lines out the door, people to pay for the food that we were making for them. So it was, like, pretty neat. So all these experiences sort of culminated at Urban Garden Center, which is kind of fun. But I don't know. I have to tell you, I mean, I remember how many times I, I get a call, oh, the cook didn't come in. I'm like, what are you talking about? So I'm now making omelets and delivering them, <laughs> making milkshakes. I want—I mean, it was—I want to scream. I mean, it still happens to this day. The barista didn't show up, so I—you know—running over to be a barista today or tomorrow, or whatever. Yesterday, when it's, you purchased those restaurants, you already owned Urban Garden Center, correct? Well, no, we didn't. We were in Dimitri's Garden Center. Okay, at that, that point, we, yeah, it was yeah, right okay. now. We're doing the cafe thing, yeah. but 
Then. What year was that? Like when you uh, were? It was in the. It was in the. Um, it was around 2006, let's say, to about 2010, and then around 2010 was when the market crashed. Everything literally yeah. fell apart, and it was like uh, I hate to use the word house of cards because it made it sound like it was so lacking foundation, but it, it really felt like a house of cards just collapsing on itself, and everything fell apart. Everything, you know. So when I got to Urban Garden Center, I was like at the most bottom level of my personal career, if you will, as an entrepreneur, because I never worked for anybody in my life. I mean, even in college, I bought a house and I rented it to my fraternity brothers. <laughs> and then I um, uh, never worked for anybody and I never experienced such a disaster. Uh, but it was like, actually, I have to say, it was the best thing that ever happened to me because that disaster taught me a lot of lessons. And it was a disaster that I don't feel that I ever really fully bounced back from financially, but I do feel that I bounced back from it the education was yeah emotionally mm, yeah. Edu- you know like I said I, I call it graduate school I mean the the, the experience was uh, uh, you know you can't pay for that ed- education thanks so much for listening my name is Ellie and this has been a podcast by Manhattan Sideways if you're interested in learning more about this business or about the thousands of other small businesses on the side streets of Manhattan be sure to check out our website www.sideways.nyc and follow us on social media at NY Sideways. See you next time.